0: What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun, or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like
1: rotten meat, or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode?
0: Hello. And welcome to No Dream Deferred Presents Writer's Lounge, hosted by myself, Anne McQueen. Writer's Lounge presents a free weekly session for BIPOC writers at various stages to share a safe and encouraging space to work, all while encouraging the growth and strengthening of writing skills. Joining us today is screenwriter Andrea Thornton-Bolden. Andrea's work can be seen on TV shows such as Lucifer Season 1 and 2, The Spanish Princess, Tell Me a Story, in LA's Finest. Currently, Andrea staffed on The CW's Nancy Drew, where she's working on Season 3 as a producer-level writer. To learn more, please visit No Dreams Deferred, NOLA's Facebook page. Also, be sure to sign up for our weekly writing sessions happening every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central Time. We caught up with Andrea at her home in Reseda, California, this is what she had to say about how attending an HBCU prepared her for the start of her writing journey.
2: I went to a primarily white high school and middle school, and there is such a mental and emotional burden in, uh, for, for Black children and children of color in general in those spaces to be uh, the representative for your and to have to sort of carry, you know, both the the knowledge of your group, because you're responsible for educating other people on things they really should be learning either from their teachers or their parents. Uh, And you you have to deal with the marginalization and the microaggressions and how that chips away at your self-esteem and self-confidence little by little over time. And HBCUs are so restorative uh, and so healing. There are a lot of different reasons people choose colleges. Some, you know, a lot of it is branding uh, for a non-for-profit field. There is a lot of profit (laughs) involved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I I, I get the allure of some of, you know, the name brand schools, if you were, but what HBCUs have, that is something that you cannot find at any other kind of institution because not only are they these um, cultural touchstones, these keepers of our history and our, you know, our identity. Uh, they are like little incubators for for your spirit as, as a black student. Because not only are you getting a great education and you're getting the same great degree that you could get from a number of different places, you are allowed to be yourself and not just the black kid. Uh, <clears throat> y- your identity is a central part of your experience but not the defining part of your experience. And how I'll uh, bring that back to myself is you know when I came out of, of my high school experience, uh, you know it, 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 it being that only the only black girl in class had you know, my confidence had taken a hit in a few ways and Hampton was very um, instrumental in me being like, oh like, I'm a person, like I'm not just a black person. That's a part of me that I love and I'm super excited about, but it doesn't define me. Like everyone's black. So the the playing field, and not everyone is black. That's one, another great thing about HBCUs is that there are all kinds of people who go there. It's just the majority is, is typically black. So all of a sudden you're just you and you are responsible for developing the you, you know, as you, uh, for the adult that you are.
0: When asked about how her non traditional path to the writer's room of some of Hollywood's major television series, Andrea had a few very humorous thoughts to share. So,
2: usually, if you know you want to be a writer, you go to film school, right? Like, you, you, you go and you study the art of writing. Um, I never got to do that because I didn't know that I wanted to be a writer until after like I had was done with school. Uh, It was something I discovered as a professional. So um, my path was I went to uh, uh, Hampton and got my uh, undergraduate degree in marketing because uh, I thought that I wanted to go into business because uh, truthfully, you know, I was a little I don't wanna throw my parents under the bus, but you know, they had a very honest conversation with me about the risk of going into the creative field and you know the uncertainty. And my dad might have been like, I mean, do you wanna be in New York with a shoebox apartment and a hot plate and a pet rat? And at 16, I was like, N- No, I don't want a pet rat. And he was like, Yeah, you might not want to major in theater then. So I majored in marketing, and I found myself about halfway through being like, well, I don't want to do this. Um, And it's great. You know, marketing teaches you a lot of things. It basically teaches you how to sell something. So I knew how to sell myself, but I, I didn't want to spend my career, you know, selling soap for, you know, a Fortune 500. It just wasn't my calling. And no shade to everyone who works for Johnson & Johnson. I'm grateful for what you do but yes. <laughs> I, I just was like, I, can't, I don't wanna do this. So I had already invested all of this time um, and education into business. And I wasn't yet, I, I, I hadn't really discovered that I just wanted to write yet. So I was like, well, how close can I get to what I really love, which is television uh, without taking the plunge because I'm not a writer. I can't do that. Um, and so I found Carnegie Mellon uh, who had a phenomenal program called Masters in Entertainment Industry Management, where you spent the first year in Pittsburgh, where the main campus is located, and you took you know the business classes, and then you spent the second year out here. Uh, we have a satellite campus in North Hollywood, and you took uh, entertainment industry classes from entertainment industry professionals, and you interned, uh, like maybe three or four days out of the week. So that was how I got out to Los Angeles. And it was in doing that, you know, I, I thought I wanted to be a TV executive. I thought that that would be the way to uh, merge both worlds. You know, get get to make television, but also, you know, get to be safe, so to speak. Yes. Mind you, uh, I'm living in uh, a really sketchy neighborhood with plenty of rats and prostitutes yelling at each other. At five in the morning, so I'm like, well, this seems like what my dad was afraid of anyway. So maybe I just like take some leaps, you know? So yes. <laughs> right? It's like, I'm already here. The pet rat in the yes. hot plate, like we've we've already arrived at this. It's so happened. it's happened. So what is there to be afraid of? There's no failure. <laughs> yes. I was um I was working at a uh, Bruckheimer which is uh, where I got my start. And I had a a fabulous boss who was an incredible uh, TV development executive, which is what I thought I wanted to do. And one of the most valuable gifts she gave me was I saw her do that job and I saw her kick butt in it. And I realized this is not it for me because as great as she was, so much of being an executive in television is um, you're either finding the intellectual property and or, or or the story or whatever it is and you're connecting that with a writer and then you're connecting that writer with a, a studio and a network and you're shepherding the process along. But I didn't want to be a shepherd, you know like I wanted to be the sheep. <laughs> okay. okay. Right? I wanted to be I want I wanted to be the one that was generating um, the creation, the story, the writing. So I was like, well, crap, I better go learn how to write. But so I, I just want to, you know, I did this very backwards. And I, mm-hmm. I want to say that so that people who are maybe coming to this a little bit later or who didn't take the traditional film school route aren't like, well, that's it. I, you know, I missed my shot. Like, you know, it's, I was, you know, I was, I was young. I was still in my 20s, but I, I took, um, I took a class at UCLA extension uh, in screenwriting. And that was, I think, one of my first, official writing classes. So, I knew I wanted to tell stories, but I didn't learn the medium until post-education, which is a very long way of of explaining that. I wouldn't necessarily recommend my program if you want to write. But hey, I'm here. So, yes. If you if you'll get there how you get there. There are many different ways to skin that cat.
1: No Dream Deferred is excited to announce its Summer Dream Studio, a black-led, affordable, affirming, virtual learning campus for all. With classes for everyone from youth to adult and flexible payment options, these summer courses promise to enrich and inspire our entire community. For more information, visit our Facebook page or our Instagram at NDDNOLA. What makes a hit a hit? How does a Bruce Willis cover of a Staple singer song outperform the original? And is groove really in the heart? Or is it somewhere else? On American 100, we're going to dive into the heart of the Billboard Hot 100 completely at random and try to get to the bottom of what makes us love, hate, or just get addicted to pop songs. Featuring guest musicians and comedians, it's funny, it's informative, and just like the Hot 100 itself, a little bit weird. Hosted by me, Micah McKee, and presented by Cicada Radio, American 100 airs anywhere you like to listen to podcasts.
2: So I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, um, but I was only there for a very short time because my my parents lived there while my dad was uh, in school. And after he graduated, we moved to Atlanta, where my dad's originally from, and that's where I was raised. That is home. That is, you know, that that is the air I breathe and the humidity uh-huh. and the humidity that I bask in and the red clay that I love. That's a part of my soul. So I am yes. a forever I love Atlanta girl. But yes, I, I live in I live in L.A. I've been in L.A. for okay. as of this month, 11 years, which is insane to me because it you know, it, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't it just really just just goes by. <laughs> So fast. When I first got out here, like the first year, I hated it. Um, at the time, LA felt like a place where you either had to be somebody or you had to know somebody to do anything and get anything done. And that's, you know, it's very painful when you're just starting out and you have no money and you don't know anybody and you're not anyone important. And, you know, there are certainly, you know, it's Hollywood. So there are certainly going to be Those kinds of moments uh, and locations, but one of the best things that I discovered about Los Angeles is that it's truly a patchwork quilt, in that there is there really is something for everybody. There's a neighborhood for everybody. There's a tribe for everybody. There is a flavor for everybody. And if you give the city enough of a chance, you will find your little piece of the quilt, and then you might find other pieces that you like just as much but it it really does have something for everybody but you have to you have to get out there and you have to make it and you have to make friends and you have to visit the places and you have to discover what you love or else you're you're you know it's tough so it was definitely a transition if you had told me the first six months I was here no you're you're totally going to fall in love with this place I would have been like you are out of your mind I am trying to get (laughs) on the next thing smoking I want to be anywhere but here but but, like, like I, I, I own a home, so I'm, I'm stuck here for a while. <laughs> I was a theater kid in high school, so I'm sure that as a kid I would probably write my own little plays and stories. But if we're talking about actual serious, like, writing, like where there's some work involved, I think the first thing I ever wrote was in grad school, funny enough, because okay. even though I was studying... Um, entertainment industry management to be an executive Uh, some of my classmates wanted to produce a short film uh, for a class we were in because producing is you know that did kind of cover um some of what we learned so you know if you want to produce a short film you have to have a short film to (laughs) to produce so (laughs) uh so i ended up co-writing it with a classmate and that was kind of like my first hit like that was when i was like that's when i was like oh like I could like do this. Um, this is something that I could do, because I had known people, um, you know, like in, in life who, who who knew from the moment they knew what a writer was, that a writer was what they were meant to be, and that they could not like if they weren't writing, then they were miserable. They could not go a single day without writing. Writing was the air they breathed. I. I was not one of those people. I, to this day, am not one of those people. Okay. <laughs> and I've yeah. accepted that I might never be one of those people. What I am is a storyteller. Story, storytelling is the air that I breathe. So for me, writing is a way to do that and, and make a living <laughs> and, um, yes. and, and have a, a, a career that I really love. But um, because I wasn't one of those, I've got to get up every day at 4 a.m. and write. I've got to write. I've got to journal every day. Because I wasn't one of those people, I thought, well, you know, you've got to be one of those people to be a professional yeah. writer. Like, you have to, like, it has to be, like, the, the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, however many hours. Like, it has to be that. And, you know, life is just learning. Like, like no, like, we all have, you know, we all have strengths. We all have, have things that come naturally to us. And we all have to have things that we have to work at. And writing was something I had to work at. And it wasn't until I really started putting in the work that the destiny, that's where the destiny came from. Uh, Last year, during uh, the beginnings of quarantine, I got into prose, actually. And I I wrote some essays, just like on my Facebook and stuff. And it was... Uh, honestly, you know, I was just trying to like one get some stuff out of my system because there was certainly a lot to scream about then. There's a lot to scream about now, but you know, May and June of last year were really uh, quite amplified uh, in our collective trauma. So uh, that was kind of and, and I and I, I haven't gotten to do it as much as I want, but um, I I one I really enjoy it because um, when you're writing in a specific form, you have to sort of abide by the rules of that form Mm -hmm. and you can break them, but you have to know them well enough to break them, Mm -hmm. um, so that you can break them appropriately and doing things in another medium kind of allows you some freedom. So I enjoyed that, but I also kind of enjoyed the, uh, the, the, the response, um, and people being like, oh my God, like this is, you know, this, this touched me, this meant something to me, this moved me. Um, Yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, I'd say writing essays is something I, I need to do more of. I have, I have a lot of stories uh, to tell and the, so, the story comes to you uh, and it doesn't always tell you, hi, I'm a TV story. Like there are some little stories that visit me and they're like, oh no, I'm a feature. Oh no, I'm a staged musical or, or I'm a book. And I'm like, that's great. I can't, I I love that and I see you and I respect you for what you are. I can't get to you now, but eventually I am absolutely going to get to you.
1: Oh, okay. Can you tell me your name uh, and what it is that you do for your work? Uh, My name is Brad Spiegel and I'm a resilience planner for the Louisiana Watershed Initiative. On the first episode of River Runs Backwards, we covered the concept of watersheds with our expert, Bradley Spiegel. He took us on a tour of his neighborhood where the city is implementing a project using the concept of something called green infrastructure to mitigate flooding. I'd love to show you. All right, let's go. <laughs> However, we were not able to take a deep dive into the material that day, but luckily for y'all, we recorded the whole thing. Isn't cool? It is cool. <laughs> Now, we offer Brad's entire interview as a little bit of land yap for our Patreon subscribers. That This house is much higher than what we're standing on in the street. Uh-oh. Gunshot or firework? Firework. Firework. firework yeah, firework. The good and the bad. Just go to patreon.com slash Radio. Even as little as a dollar a month means the world to us. Plus, you'll get swag. And don't forget to subscribe to River Runs Backwards, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Uh, so it's funny, we, my, my husband and I just moved this past year. So it's been about finding the new place in my house to write because Mm -hmm. before, um, I actually loved writing. I I loved writing in coffee shops. I know that's cliche, but to me, a house is for like resting and relaxing and being (laughs) at home. A house is not for working. (laughs) So, um, I would work, I would work at a coffee shop or, The Writers Guild out here has a writer's lounge. I would trek all the way there and I would write in the writer's lounge or like back, you know, for my job, we had an office. I really miss my office because it was like my little place where I could like close the door and just like, this is the workspace. So it's been kind of an adventure being like, okay, where can I write in this house and it not feel like pulling teeth? And I, I finally discovered a place which is like this very comfortable armchair in my bedroom. And that, that's it. That's the only place it'll work. I've, I've literally been up and down this house and it's, it's just that armchair in the bedroom. like have to have music. Uh, I don't necessarily have to have it. Sometimes I'll be lucky enough to reach flow without it. And like the act of finding it would pull me out of flow. So I just jam on that vibration for as long as I can. But um, it really depends on what the piece is like. um, There was an episode I wrote for Nancy Drew last season that was very uh, heavy and very mournful. So I listened to a lot of Requiem masses. Because fun fact, I actually sing uh, in my choir at church. So we do a a requiem for, we sing a requiem for all saints every year. So I had a lot to pull from. So I had that on repeat because it was a a very like, you know, sort of deep, sad energy. Um, But if I'm just like, if I just want to like pull something uh, and it's random, my best bet will be the uh, score of the movie Princess Mononoke. by uh, Miyazaki, that's uh, that's probably one of my favorite scores of all time. So just yeah, movie scores in general. I mean, that's what they're you know that's why they exist, right? Is is to be yes. is to trigger the imag- imagination and, and the feelings there within. So
0: you're currently writing on a hit TV series, Nancy Drew, which is running on the CW network. Tell us a little about the show.
2: All right, so uh, it's Nancy Drew. Uh, uh, but, but that's the great thing is that everybody, it's an iconic brand. It's a, it's a beloved intellectual property. Everybody knows that name. And, uh, one of the joys I experienced when I first got hired on the show was that when I would tell people that I was writing on Nancy Drew, uh, if they were women, they almost always said, Oh, I read those books when I was a kid. Like, and it didn't matter race, um, background, Age definitely didn't matter. Eight, like you know, it's just it, it's it's a beloved property. So, what uh, we have done differently on our on our version uh, is that they're a ghost uh, in our Nancy Drew universe. The supernatural is real. So mm-hmm. it's um so it's 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 on the CW. So it definitely has that that young adult kind of teen perspective and. There's a great mix of supernatural mysteries with actual real world crimes. And at the center of it, you have, you know, this strong, brilliant uh, female detective, Nancy. And in addition to all those things, she's young and she's trying to figure herself out. And she's trying to, you know, understand who she is and, and her place in the world. So it's something that even if you're not, you know, uh, a, a, a teen detective solving supernatural crimes in a seaside town with your friends in a lobster shack, you can hopefully
0: relate. <laughs> I'm currently streaming and binge-watching Nancy Drew. Would you say you are a Nancy and George initially not believing in the supernatural or like myself and many others who totally believe in the spooky stuff?
2: I feel like it's almost such a large... It's it's such a hallmark of black culture, like to, to believe in something, even if you can't define it, even if it's not what necessarily what your grandma believed. Um, to believe that, you know, that the world is large and there are all sorts of things in it. And maybe some of those things aren't any of our business. <laughs> we, we, we always have this joke in the writer's room, um, where some of the writers are like, you know, if they saw a ghost, they would wanna engage with it. They would break out the Ouija board and other writers like myself and uh, and the other black writer on the show, Erica, who is a phenomenal, incredible, we're like, no, you guys are crazy. Like this is, no, like, no, it's like, mm-mm. That's not- don't play with the Ouija Exactly, no, like that's, a, so it's like, in terms of like what I might believe specifically about the spookiness, I just believe that, you know, God's got me, my ancestors have me, and I'm gonna mind my own yes. business. <laughs> well, it's funny, it, it started out as a way to relax, but it really all comes from the same well, right? That well of creativity. Um, because no matter what, for me, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's p- painting uh, or writing, it's still my voice. It's just yeah. different ways to access my voice. And the way painting came about for me, this is also something I discovered you know, more recently in life, was that I was between jobs. And uh, the last job I'd had, there had been some difficulties and some challenges. And so writing wasn't coming as easy to me because I was dealing with a lot of trauma from that experience so i every i couldn't open final draft without like a chill going down my spine so i started reading this book called the artist way which was basically was like why don't you do something different like find a different way to ex- yes find a different way to express yourself just be creative and i was like i kind of want to like make vision boards and then paint over those vision boards and that's what i started doing is i started collaging and I would do cutout, you know, mixed media. I would do cutouts for magazines and like just all these things that I wanted to scream, basically, because I was I my feelings were so big and I was so angry about a whole lot of things and also deeply sad, but also finding really finding a sense of peace um, that, you know, it just it all kind of came from that. So that was very freeing. Uh, for me in a really incredible way. So it started off as this way to relax, but like even in my work, it's still like a lot of color, a lot of vibrancy, a lot of emotion. I'm one of the like emotion people, you know, in a room or on our show. And specifically I'm like, but how does the character feel in this moment? Because yes. um, yes. God God has blessed me with a bounty of feelings. So I do my, <laughs> right? So many feelings, so many big big feelings. So all of that is sort of the genesis for me, my creativity and comes out in, in my work, no matter the medium.
0: This one is for our Writers Lounge BIPOC writers who are very excited about your upcoming visit. What advice or encouragement would you give a writer that wants to follow your path in dreams of becoming a television writer?
2: There, there is so much good advice, right? Like, um, one, one that I always hear is just write, just write. And you know what? That's totally true. But here's what honestly worked for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. is um, as long as you have a voice, mm-hmm. a voice that is authentic, a voice that is defined, a voice that is yours, you can learn anything else. You can learn the ins and outs of writing. You can learn formatting. You can learn mechanics. You can you know, get better at writing. You can't acquire a voice. That's something that no one can give to you, but it's also something no one can take away. And one of the most encouraging bits of feedback I got on some of my um, first, you know, times trying to write a script, trying to write my first pilot was, you know, I would, I would give it to other writers uh, at my job. Uh, now I say other writers, at that time I was on support staff. I was a writer's assistant. And I would have uh, the staffed professional writers on the show read it, and they would be like, "Look, you've definitely got some, you know, mechanical issues here, some formatting issues here. You need to fix this. You need to fix that." But man, your voice, like, I like that—that's you. Like, I can hear you, and that was that was kind of like my little life raft, my lifesaver that I clung to, even when I got like notes that were really just kind of like well, shoot, I don't know if I should even be doing this, it was like, no, I, I've got something to say and people like what I have to say. So this is just the hard work of figuring out how best to say it, uh, to get my message across and, and tell the story that needs to be told. So all That's that beautiful. to say, thank you. All that to say like- that I'm emotional now. Oh, good, good. <laughs> but it's like your voice is, is the most important thing. It's not all that matters, but it is the most important thing that matters.
0: Listen to your own voice. We want to thank Andrea for stopping by to show love to our podcast and BIPOC writers. You have been listening to No Dream Deferred Presents Writer's Lounge. This show is brought to you by No Dream Deferred in association with Cicada Radio and is produced by Anne McQueen and Asher Griffith. If you are listening to this on a podcast app, you already know to smash that subscribe button, give us the stars, and write a review. To sponsor this show, please write Lauren at nola.com. To help us continue to make great radio like this, please visit CicadaRadio.com slash support. As always, thank you, and we'll see you next time. This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die.